great to see you today. It's great to see you today who are watching at home. Excuse me that I'm just a little bit wound up this morning, but I know what we're focusing on today, and we are going to celebrate what Jesus has done for us, and I get a little wound up when I think about what he has done for me and about what he has done for you. This is my testimony. Let's see if it's yours. Listen to these words. Father God, 
a thousand tongues, a thousand and so many more are going to sing your praises this morning because we do understand the incredible gift that you provided and the incredible hope that we have, the knowledge of something we have yet to see, that our eternity is secure with you. Lord, if there are people on the other side of these lips, their ears are hearing what I'm saying today, and they say, I don't know what he's talking about. Lord, would you cause them to stick close today because they are going to hear the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and all that he has done for us. Thank you for what you're going to do today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together, wherever you are, and worship His holy name.
Oh, glory to his name. We believe in God our Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I sang my testimony earlier. Sing yours right now. Sing yours right now. Our Father everlasting, the all-creating one, God
we sort of preach on the on this verse every Sunday, but today, I mean, it is the focus of where our pastor is going to spend his time. If you, no matter how long you've been a Christian, I guarantee you have heard this verse over and over and over again. It's a bit of the cornerstone of our Christian faith, and that is John 3, 16. So in the, in the honor and glory of Jesus Christ with thankful hearts today, I want to encourage us all to recite this verse together. Starts with, for God so loved. All right, that'll get us started. Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. Oh God, thank you Thank you for washing us clean. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on that cross. And thank you, O oh Lord, that he is alive today, preparing a place of eternity for us as believers, as children of his. Lord, as we continue to worship through our giving, Lord, I pray that you would see the tender hearts of thankful people and Lord, I pray that you see the hearts of seeking people as they try to understand today the truth of your word and your salvation. So accept these gifts as praise offering to you today and look in our hearts and see the wonderful thankfulness of your people in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is. Lift your voice, church. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Oh, you need to stand to your feet for this one. When we've been there ten Take your copy of the Word of God and turn with us to 1 Peter chapter number 2. We're going to be in verse 24 and a little bit into verse 25 this morning in 1 Peter uh, chapter number 2. Have you ever heard something that grabbed your attention? I heard something this week that 91% of people skip the first piece of bread and a loaf of bread. What are they thinking? That's the best piece of bread in the loaf. I will skip over the entire loaf of bread to get to the back, the last piece of bread. Those are the first two I eat every time. I I want a loaf of bread that only has end pieces, and that's it. I may get some. If you don't want your end pieces, send them to me. Send them COVID-free, but send them to me. I also heard recently, this grabbed my attention. I heard somebody say, I need to stay six feet away from my debit card. (laughs) And maybe you've heard this, God doesn't have any grandchildren. I mean, that, that, when the first time I heard that, that grabbed my attention. Why? Because he only has children, right? 
Or how about this one? Some people can see the handwriting on the wall and, and they, all they do is criticize the penmanship. Right? Boy, is that social media in 2020 nothing is, is it? Well, I recently heard a pastor share a story that grabbed my attention. It was a story about a Christian bookstore in a closed country, a country that is closed to Christianity, and they had a Christian bookstore. So that grabbed my attention. And, and the pastor said the particular miss, missionary in that particular closed country took the pastor to that particular Christian bookstore. And as they walked around, the missionary said to the pastor, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to look around and you tell me what you see. And what he saw was what you would expect to see in a Christian bookstore. Books about discipleship or apologetics. Books about de- devotionals and, you know, Christian bookstore, those things you'd expect to see. But then the missionary said to the pastor, what is one thing that you do not see here? After a few minutes, the the missionary said, what you're not going to find here, what you will not see in this Christian bookstore are books about the church. The pastor said, the church? Why not the church? This is what the missionary said, the government of this closed country knows that if Christians are just individuals, if they're just isolated, they're not a threat whatsoever if they're only concerned about their personal family and their personal devotional and their personal 30-day bible reading plan they're not a threat they only become a threat when they come together they only become a threat when they organize when they gather because when they come together when they organize when they gather their allegiance is to a different king in a different kingdom Now, I know America is not a country, at least not yet, that is closed to the gospel. In fact, I would say that perhaps America is even more open to the gospel now than she's ever been. More unchurched people are reading the Bible. More unchurched people are checking out churches than perhaps ever before. So what does a cancel anybody, anywhere, anytime America need to see? What does a a divided over anything and everything America need to see? What does a someone suffering somewhere America need to see? What does a, 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 a crippled American culture where everything offends somebody and everybody is offended by something, what does that culture need to see? What does a, 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 a fearful, suffering, divided culture need to see? You know what they need? They need to see... A kind, serving, united, fearless church. Gathered under the the unity, faith, hope, and love of the cross. That's what they need to see. They need to see our family tree. That's what they need to see. Now this image is just an image. It's an image that tells the gospel story. And today we're going to climb the third tree represented here in our family tree. And the third tree is the forever tree, represented by the life and the leaves. Revelation says that the leaves on the tree of life are the healing of the nations. And so this is the forever tree we're going to climb today. So if you have your Bibles and you're in 1 Peter 2, verse 24 and 25, would you say word up? At home do the same. Thank you. Verse 24, 1 Peter chapter 2. Here we go. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And look at this. 
that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you've been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Father, we thank you for the truth in your word today. We thank you for the gospel. And we pray that today, Holy Spirit, your conviction would fall on men, women, boys, and girls who are far from you and need to be brought near to you. God, we pray for people on this campus and those watching online that today... They would be changed. They would be transformed. That they would experience a life change through the good news of Jesus Christ and the hope that only He can provide. And God, would you bring us to the point of decision today? Would you bring us to the place where we would respond to the gospel today? We ask it all in Jesus' name and God's people said, All right, there's some limbs we want to focus on as we climb this tree today. There's three of them actually here in 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. The first limb, I've worded this way, Jesus headed to the hill. Jesus headed to the hill called Calvary. He headed to the hill. And in verse 24, it's pretty plainly laid out that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body. And then the little phrase is on the tree. Now the word for tree here in the Greek is xylon and it, it simply means tree or wood or cross. And when I think about the wood of the tree, this is what I think about. I think about all different passages of Scripture. For instance, I think about Genesis 22, the the foreshadowing text that, that foreshadows the cross where Isaac and Abraham were on their way up Mount Moriah to worship the Lord and they gathered some wood for the sacrifice. That's what I think about that wood. And I remember uh, the, the re- reading Genesis 22, and, and I can remember uh, reading that and, and the Lord revealing to me that, that when Abraham raised his knife to sacrifice his only son, his only, his, 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 his son, and when he had that knife ready, uh, that there was a voice, Abraham, Abraham, and in the thicket there was a, there was a ram. There was a substitute for Isaac. Right? And, and, and I can remember in that moment coming to a realization that, hey, the sacrifice was still required. Yeah, Isaac wasn't sacrificed, but a sacrifice was still required. And so, sure, the ram is not our substitute. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is our substitute. So when I think about this tree, when I think about the wood, I think about the foreshadowing of the cross that we read in Genesis 22. I think about the wood that made the table of the money changers as they sold sacrifices to the people to gain access into the temple. I think about the tree of life in Genesis that the Lord says you eat of it and you will live if you eat of the tree of life. I think about the tree in the, in the garden in Revelation, this, this tree of life where the leaves are for the healing of the nations. And I think about the wood, and this wood represents an instrument. It represents, in this case, in 1 Peter 2.24, an instrument of death where Jesus suffered, bled, and died so that we could have life now and forever. I think about Deuteronomy 21 where the Bible's clear. If a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day for a hanged man is what? Is cursed by God. And then I think about Galatians where Paul uses that very text and says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And so as I'm thinking about this wood and this tree and this cross, I'm 
The question arose in my heart, when was it? When was the decision made for Jesus to receive the nomination to be the one to die on the cross? When was the decision made for Jesus to begin to start heading to the hill? When was that decision made? When did Jesus receive the nomination, not for the RNC or the DNC, not for some Republican or Democrat convention, but when did Jesus receive the nomination to be the one to head to the hill? When did Jesus start heading to the hill? And in Revelation, we're told that before the foundation of the world, the Lamb was slain. So before the beginning began, Jesus was headed to the hill. At his birth, he was given the name Jesus. And why the name Jesus? For he will save his people from their sin. So at his birth, he's headed to the hill. As, as a baby... As a baby boy in the temple, Simeon walks up to Mary and Joseph and begins to prophesy and say, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. So at his birth, as a baby boy, Jesus is headed to the hill. As a boy in the temple, when his parents left him there, and they said, where are you? What are you doing? He said, don't you know I'm about my father's in my father's house about my father's business. Nothing's going to distract Jesus from heading to the hill. At his birth, as a baby, as a baby boy, at his baptism, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the what? Sin of the world. He's headed to the cross. He's headed to the hill. Nothing will distract him. After his baptism, Satan tried his best to distract him. He, he tempted him and tried to get him to fall down and worship Satan. And he would give him all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus said, be gone, Satan. He would not be distracted from headed to the hill. So at his birth, as a baby, as a baby boy, as a boy, at his baptism, after his baptism, he's headed to the hill. As a rabbi, he's headed to the hill. Matthew, Mark, and Luke speak of Jesus telling his disciples over and over again, I'm going to Jerusalem. And there the Son of Man will suffer at the hands of the chief priests, the scribes, the elders, and be killed and on the third day raised to life. And when Peter objected, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He would not be distracted, for he was headed to the hill. Before the beginning began, at his birth, as a baby, as a baby boy, as a boy, at his baptism, after his baptism, as a rabbi, he was headed to the hill. The question is, what led him to the hill? What led Jesus to head to the hill? What was it that caused him to go to the hill? You know, Jesus uses Jonah in Matthew 12 to, to speak of his resurrection. He said, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And he's speaking about his resurrection. But also, in the narrative of Jonah, we see the cross. Not only do we see the resurrection of Jesus in the narrative of Jonah, we see the cross of Jesus in the narrative of Jonah. Remember, Jonah was hurled out of the ship. You remember that? The, 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 these, these seasoned sailors who were scared to death of this hurricane that God had hurled upon them, they took Jonah and hurled him into the sea to calm down the raging storm. And in that whole first chapter of Jonah, we see this narrative unfold of the cross. That God's anger towards sin 
and toward Jonah running from him. And Jonah learned this. Hey, you can, you can run from God. You can run from God. I don't advise it, but you can run from him, but you can't run him. And Jonah learned that. His, God's anger toward Jonah was not an anger of judgment or vengeance or punishment. It was an anger of grace. That he was redeeming him through his anger. I mean, think about living in a universe where the one in charge of the universe is indifferent and doesn't care and doesn't get angry about sin and doesn't get angry about injustice. Can you imagine living in a place like that? Aren't you so grateful that God is holy and just and cannot coexist with sin and gets angry about sin and gets angry towards sin? Therefore, there is justice and there is mercy and there is grace and there is forgiveness. One pastor said it like this, the anger of God is not the embarrassing uncle of his character that we should hide from the rest of mankind. We shouldn't be embarrassed by God's anger. In fact, you can make the argument that God's anger is the hope of the whole world. That through that comes grace and mercy and forgiveness and justice. So what was it that led Jesus to the hill? Here's what it was. God's anger towards sin and God's grace towards sinners. They meet at the cross. They meet at the cross. They're on display at the cross. This is what it means when it says he himself bore our sins. God was angry towards sin. And he bore our sins in his body on the tree. That is the, that is the instrument of divine judgment. The cross of Christ. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That means, hey, there's grace towards sinners. By his wounds we are healed. It's grace towards sinners. Now, I, you probably heard this week, I know I did, that the California Supreme Court on Monday reversed the death sentence handed down to Scott Peterson, who in 2002 uh, murdered his wife Lacey and unborn child Connor. I think he still claims his innocence, but anyway, he's convicted of that at least. And after 15 years on death row, Peterson's execution was overturned this week. Aren't you so grateful? Not 15 years, but 2,000 years later. Aren't you so grateful that God the Father has not overturned Jesus' execution? Aren't you so grateful that he didn't look at us and say, Man, I've made a mistake. These folks aren't worth it. They can't get out of their own way. I'm going to take that back. Aren't you so grateful that 2,000 years later it still stands that Jesus died for our sin? To take away the sin of the world. Aren't you so grateful of the grace and mercy and forgiveness that is offered to us solely and only through the accomplished work of Christ on the cross? I know I am. Jesus headed to the hill. It wasn't any old hill that Jesus headed to. Jesus did not head to a hill where there was a battle sometime in our history or the history of the world like he didn't head to the uh, long before any battle ever took place Jesus headed to the hill called Calvary it, it was it before the foundation of the world he was on his way to the hill called Calvary long before the battle between the Republican elephant and Democrat donkey on Capitol Hill Jesus won the war on Calvary's hill he won it it's done Long before any battle at Bunker Hill or Battle of Gettysburg Hill or Hamburger Hill or Honey Hill, Jesus headed to the hill to do battle on the hill called Calvary. Jesus headed to the hill. So that's the first limb. Here's the second limb. 
I want us to focus on as we climb this forever tree. The second one reads this way. We were headed to hell. Why did Jesus head to the hill? Because we were headed to hell. That's why. You see this in verse 24. It says that we might. Somebody say might. Say might. We might die to sin. The might die there in, in the Greek is carries this idea of to be away from sin, that we might be away from sin, that we might depart from sin, that we might be missing from sin, that we might cease to exist with sin. In other words, outside of Christ, we are dead in our sin. The wages of sin is? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, not even one. Those of us who are not in Christ stand condemned already. Yet, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, because he headed to the hill, here's the reality. Those of us who were headed to hell can now be headed to heaven. And we were headed to hell, you can see this, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That we might die to sin, not die in our sin or die from our sin, but die to sin. In other words, what, what Peter is focusing on here is the penalty for our sin. The wage of sin is death. And so, because of the cross, we now have been delivered from sin's penalty. We don't have to pay it. Jesus paid it in full. He nailed it to the tree. He nailed it to the cross. And we don't have to pay it. He's already paid it in full. So this is speaking of us being delivered from sin's penalty. But it also is speaking of us being delivered from sin's power. We no longer have to live under the power of sin. That's what it means to live to righteousness. That we might. We might die to sin and might live to righteousness. Meaning that we have to apply this to ourselves. This, here's this majestic, mysterious sovereignty of God and the free will of man working somehow to bring about the redemption of mankind, bringing those who are far from God being, being brought near to God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we might die to sin and we might live to righteousness. In other words, here's, maybe this is an easier way to understand it. God the Father sent Jesus to be perfectly righteous on our behalf because God the Father knew that we would not be righteous if we could and we could not be righteous if we would. That we have no hope outside of Christ. There's nothing about us that is righteous outside of Christ whatsoever. But yet, Jesus, who knew no sin, he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, here's a question. Is this still true in 2020? Is it still true today? In, in, in 2020, when there are heavens, injustices, and shootings, and more and more aches, and fears, and, and pain, and suffering, and persecutions, and riots, and rioters. Is, is this still true? I know 2020 feels, you know what 2020 feels like? Anybody ever seen any Toy Story movies? Toy Stories? 2020 feels like those, those toys, those characters in, in Toy Story, when a child walks into the room and picks them up and just starts beating them up against the wall and throwing them everywhere. That's what 2020 feels like, doesn't it? 
I mean, what else? 2020. 2020 feels like if we survive 2020, it feels like we should all get a participation trophy just for participating. Does it not? It's been nuts, hasn't it? So is this still true in 2020? 2,020 years later. The truth is, it's still true. (laughs) The truth is that God has not overturned the execution of His Son. So, 1 Peter 2.25 makes it pretty clear, for you were straying like sheep. Let me help you with that. You were headed away from the presence of God. We all stray. We all like sheep. Stray and go away. We all were headed to hell. But we don't have to be. We don't have to be. You don't have to be. You can head to heaven. So how do I know if I'm headed to hell? I was doing some research on on hell and a lot of writings out there today is what happened to hell and nobody talks about hell anymore and hell's never preached anymore, it's never taught about anymore and why is that? And, and I came across a few guys that have spoken into my life and one of them said this, the safest road to hell is constantly blaming somebody else. The safest road to hell is to blame a broken system or to blame oppressive groups or to blame social injustices or blame this person or blame that person and never take responsibility and realize the problem is your own heart. The problem is your own desperately wicked heart. And you never repent of sin because you never confess sin because you never think you have sin. You're blaming everybody else. Just like Genesis 3, the blame game happens. Eve blames a serpent. Adam blames Eve. Everybody's blaming everybody. The safest road to hell. Saddest road to hell. Dean and Sarah wrote this recently, and I quote, I know it's happening already, but you're going to see people leave their churches over political differences, not even because of the pastor, but because of friends in the church who, who are not woke enough or who are too woke, and they just don't get it. So, He goes on to say this, you're going to have right-wing folks leave their gospel-centered churches for more of a God and country church who talk about riots more than race. Then you're going to have progressives leave their gospel-centered churches, the places they talk about racial injustice every week, gospel light, and America strong. Choose gospel centrality churches. Choose churches that preach Christ and Him crucified. It will stretch your views But it is the hope of the world. Preach the gospel. Stay with a church. It's going to be Christ-centered and preaching the word of God. Gospel-centered church. Isn't it so ironic what I've discovered about these masks? Isn't it so ironic that COVID-19 has caused us to put masks on our faces Well, at the same time, these masks have unmasked our hearts. Isn't that fascinating? How how these masks cover our faces, but it's uncovered where our true loyalties lie. Isn't that fascinating? Where does your loyalty lie? Is it with Christ? Is it with the King of kings and Lord of lords? If it's not, it can be. 
You don't have to continue down the broad road that leads to destruction. You can find the narrow way. Few find it, but you can. You can find the way that leads to life. Eternal, now, and forever. You know, I saw something very strange the other day. I saw a video of, it just looked weird. Now, I really appreciated the video. It, it really touched my heart, but it was so strange looking. This granddaughter made an apparatus out of PVC pipe, and it was tall. I mean, it's real tall. PVC pipe and some kind of plastic attached to the PVC that had arms for her lower and then arms above so one set of arms was going this way one set was going that way and she made this apparatus so her grandmother could get on one side and she could get on the other and they could hug each other through the plastic because they hadn't been able to touch because of COVID-19 and so they wanted to be able to touch and hug and so she made this apparatus and it looked really strange it looked really quirky and weird But the joy it brought to that grandmother and granddaughter, it was touching. I'm telling you, it was touching. And it made me think about this apparatus, this instrument, this tree that God made. When he created the whole world, a part of that was the hill called Calvary. A part of that creation that Jesus created was the place called Golgotha. It was the place called the skull. And he knew when he created it what it was for. And on that hill there was an apparatus that God made. And he made this apparatus because the virus of sin had separated you and me from him. And he didn't want that to continue. So he made this apparatus where Jesus would stretch his arms out so you and I could be brought back to God himself through God the Son. On the cross. And when the world looks at the cross, the Bible says it is foolishness to those who are perishing. They look at the cross and say, man, that's weird and that's strange and that's quirky. But for us, it is the power of the gospel for us who are being saved. So you may be headed to hell today, but you don't have to be. God has made a way. Jesus is the only way that you can come back to him. And that leads us to the third limb. Here we go. I've I've phrased it in, in the form of a question. Are you headed to heaven? Are you headed to heaven? One of the most important questions you'll ever find in the New Testament. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Are you headed to heaven? Jesus headed to the hill because we were headed to hell. For those of us who are in Christ, we're no longer headed to hell, praise God. But are you now headed to heaven? Are you sure you're headed to heaven? Look at verse 24, the end of it. By his wounds, you've been healed. Okay. By his wounds, you've been healed. Did y'all hear that? (laughs) By his wounds, you have been healed. By his wounds, you've been healed. Wounds and healed. Doesn't that sound strange? By his wounds, you've been healed? Wouldn't it sound a little more... uh, uh, Wouldn't it sound a little more... Not so strange to hear by his wounds you've been killed? Or by his wounds you've been hurt? 
but by his wounds you've been healed? What does that mean? Well, a couple things here. Peter, for one, is referring back to Isaiah 53, the suffering servant passage, that by his wounds we have been healed. That's what it says in Isaiah 53. And so he's referring back there, Isaiah 53, verse 5, about through his wounds, his stripes, we've been healed. Also, the word wound here means striped by a lash. Having stripes by lashing. So by his wounds, we've been healed. Also, you need to remember the context of this chapter, of this section of this chapter. Peter is writing, overall he's writing to exiles, those who have been scattered. More specifically, here he's writing to those who are Christian slaves, who have been enslaved in slavery, but they're followers of Christ. And so he's using language they are very familiar with. They have also been beaten and striped with a, with a lash. They too have experienced that. And so Peter's saying, hey, there is one who has suffered unjustly. I know you've suffered unjustly, but there's one who, 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 who has really suffered unjustly. He was perfect in every way, yet he chose to walk down into our brokenness and to come into our place of woundedness and be wounded on our behalf. So that, remember, these slaves had no rights. This was first century. They didn't have protest and they didn't have any advocates they didn't have any labor unions they they didn't have any rights whatsoever they were in a situation they could not change it could not be changed and so Peter tells them hey there's one that came into your brokenness hey he's been wounded and by his wounds you can have freedom Even in this situation of slavery, you can be set free. You can have comfort. You can have healing. Even in your situation, you can have the citizenship of heaven granted to you. And so this would have been very encouraging for these slaves to hear. Maybe today you're in a situation you can't change. There's no way you can change it. Isn't it good to know that Jesus can empathize with us in every single way? Tempted in every way, yet without sin. This is good news. See, I believe if we walked around the room today, and if we were able to do it at home today, and ask every single man, woman, boy, or girl, if we could ask you, hey, have you been wounded by sin? I wonder how many of you would raise your hand. Yes, I've been wounded by sin. We've all been wounded by sin. We've all been wounded by sin, but there's only one who was wounded for sins, and his name is Jesus. And so by his wounds we are healed. Now healing here is not referring to a physical healing. It's referring to spiritual healing, forgiveness, eternal life found only in Christ. So here's what I want you to do. Here's a good way to use verse 24 in sharing the gospel through our family tree. Let me show it to you. First of all, you see this forbidden tree, right? The fruit that was eaten when God told Adam and Eve, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, you'll surely die. Or he told Adam that. They ate of it. So this is known as the forbidden tree. Look, it's dead, right? The tree is dead. So the forbidden tree is saying to all of us, the, forbi- the, the forbidden tree is saying, you need to be healed. Sin has wounded you and you need to be healed. The wage of your sin is death and you need to be healed. Okay? That's the forbidden tree. Second tree, the forgiveness tree. We see the nails over here. Let me get over here where you can see it. 
Get over here where you can see it. There we go. All right, we've got nails and a crown. See the crown over there and the nails right here. This is the forgiveness tree. This is the tree which Jesus died upon, right? The cross. And so if the forbidden tree says you need to be healed, right? The forgiveness tree says you can be healed. That's what this tree says. Then there's the forever tree. And the forever tree says, if the forbidden tree says you need to be healed, and the forgiveness tree says you can be healed, the forever tree says you will never not be healed. You will never not be healed. You will never not be healed. Again, it's not physical healing, it's spiritual healing. That once you're forgiven, you're forgiven. You can't lose your forgiveness. Once you're comforted and set free by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, once He indwells you, is not going to leave you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And you can know in your heart that you will never not be healed spiritually. You'll never not be in a positional righteousness with God because Jesus has paid it all. And he died and he was buried and he's raised to life. So how do you know if you're headed to hell? Well, Sinclair Ferguson said it this way, thinking that I deserve heaven is a sure sign I have no understanding of the gospel whatsoever. So the gospel is not good, good morals or good attitude or good behavior, good character or good, good vibes. It's not good generosity. It's not good deeds. It's not good help. The gospel is not a code of morals. It's not a set of ethics. It's not religion. It's not philosophy. It's not a, a social program. The gospel is not a new law. The gospel is Jesus crucified, dead and buried. According to the scriptures, he died for our sins. And he was raised from the dead on the third day. According to the scriptures, he ascended the Father and one day is heading back to get those who trust in him. So are you headed to heaven? Is your citizenship in heaven? And let me say this to you. It is far more important for you to be a citizen in heaven than for you to be a citizen in America. Your citizenship in heaven is far more valuable than your citizenship in America. There is only one Christian nation. Only one. It is the kingdom of God. One Christian nation. It's not a democracy. It's a holy, perfect monarchy. There is one king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He never campaigned to be king. He was never elected as king. He wasn't voted in. He can't be voted out. He will not be impeached. He will not die while serving as king. He is King Jesus. And he offers citizenship in his kingdom today. So are you headed to heaven? If not, I want you to handle it right now. Look, eternity is way too long for you to be wrong about this. And if you say, well, I think I am, I might be, I'm not sure. Well, you're maybe is too I might be to not be right. So you don't have to live in that uncertainty. You don't have to live there. You can know for sure that your citizenship is in heaven. And you're no longer headed to hell. Once you're born physically, you're on the path to hell. You are a sinner by nature and by choice. Somewhere along the way, I pray that the gospel has been heard by you, that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die in your place, on your behalf, instead of you, to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. He died, he was raised to life, and whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And, and I've got to apologize to you now, because I've put you at risk. 
And I sort of apologize to you because now you've heard the gospel. And that means you're required to respond to the gospel. God calls people to repentance. He calls people to respond. Now is the time for people everywhere to repent and respond to the gospel. So if you're on campus, if you're in person, if you're watching online, you need to respond to the Holy Spirit convicting you and drawing you, believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, confessing with your mouth that He is Lord and asking forgiveness that can only come through Christ. I want, this is what I want you to do. All over the room, I want you to bow your heads with me. At home, bow your heads with me. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've not done. I don't care what your, uh, what your past says about you. I want you to know what God has said about you. God loves you. You can't earn it. You certainly don't deserve it. He loves you anyway. So much that he sent Jesus to die for you. So if you are far from God, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you would say today, I'm not a Christian, if you would say today, I can't say for sure if I'm headed to heaven, I just don't know. That is not what God desires for you. God wants you to know that you are his child. And so right now, Pray a simple prayer, believing it, but pray something. I mean, talk to God like I'm talking to you right now. Between your heart and the Lord's, just say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that my sin has separated me from you. And I know I deserve to die. But I believe Jesus died in my place. I believe he was the perfect sacrifice. I put my faith and trust in Him as my Savior, the one who can save me from my sin. And I believe that He was raised from the dead, and so I want to follow Him as Lord. Please forgive me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Y'all look up in here. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, if you believed in your heart, if you've decided to trust Christ right now, we want to hear from you right now. Not not tomorrow, right now. So you can text the name Jesus to 79969 and let us know. Let us know the decision you made. Or maybe you want to talk to somebody a little further about making that decision. Text the same name, Jesus, to 79969. Maybe you need prayer. Text the word prayer to 79969. Maybe you, have a, uh, you, you want to learn about how to be a member or you have another question. You can text prayer, question, uh, guest, connect. You can text these words to 79969 so we can connect with you. That's what we want to do. If you're in the room or not, you can do that. And we invite you to do so. When I step off this platform here in a moment and we begin to sing, I want to open these steps up. To those of you who know that you know that you're headed to heaven, but you've got somebody in your life that you know that's not headed to heaven. And I want to invite you to come and just pray for them by name. You can spread out enough. Don't, don't be right next to each other. And if you just want to do that in your seat, you can do it in your seat. But if you want to come forward, I want to make it available to you. It's okay for you to do that this morning and respond to this gospel in one of two ways either you need to receive Christ as your savior or you need to go tell somebody Jesus is your savior one of those two ways 
and encourage them to trust Him. And that leads us to our takeaway. Here's our message to Chattanooga, to Hamilton County, and to the world. Jesus healed us on the hill. People need to know that Jesus healed us on the hill. That's our takeaway today. That Jesus headed to the hill called Calvary because we were headed to hell for all of eternity. And because of that, Jesus healed us on that hill. On that hardball, hardcore, hard-handed, hard-nosed hill, Jesus, by taking on his hard back, the, the hardship of downloading heaven's hard drive of God the Father's hardline stance against sin because you and I are hardwired to hold on to our hard-fisted selfishness, our hard-headed sins, our hard heart of stones. So Jesus, under the hard hat of thorns, he healed us. Jesus, through the hardware of nails, he healed us. Jesus, on the hardwooded cross, he healed us. Jesus, by his hard work accomplished, he healed us. Jesus, in his hard words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He healed us. This Jesus, who made an appearance on this hill, as bleeding as our king, so that we could enter his kingdom healing. This Jesus, whom the Bible says, breathed his last on the hill so we could breathe at last and be healed. This Jesus, who Isaiah says was crushed for our iniquities on the hill, so we could claim a new identity and be healed. Jesus died on hell's hill, so we could dwell in heaven healed. The Bible says that Jesus, in, in Philippians, it says Jesus was found in human form, forsaken on the hill, so that we could be found, forgiven, and forever healed. Jesus was going to the place called Golgotha on the hill, so we wouldn't go the way of Goliath into hell. Jesus, the one who was impaled on the hill as the Lamb of God from heaven, saved us so we could be the children of God with Him forever. Jesus, who can move every mountain. Do you understand that Jesus can move any and every mountain? Yet he chose not to move the hill so that you and I could move from hell bound to heaven found. Jesus, whose name, uh, Jesus, the King of the Jews, it was written on the hill so our names could be written in heaven. Jesus was rejected on the hill so we wouldn't be rejected in hell. He suffered on the hill so we wouldn't suffer in hell. He took away our sin on the hill so we wouldn't be taken away with our sin into hell. Jesus was wounded on the hill. Wounded. By his wounds you were healed. He was wounded on the hill so we wouldn't wind up in hell. Church, aren't you so grateful that Jesus healed us on the hill? Let's stand and worship him.